0: Acts chapter 17 is where we are going to be. Um, I haven't forgotten your announcement, Austin. I'm just getting people headed in their Bible the right way. So if you have a white or blue Bible that we gave you, it's page 540. Um, You can find that as you're making your way there. On Tuesday, we have the youth Christmas party. Woo! Ugly sweaters will be worn candy will be eaten. So that's this Tuesday at the church office, uh, the regular time of their group. If you've never been to the uh, youth small group and you want to go, or maybe you don't even want to go, but this would be a good time to check it out. So Tuesday, right? Got it. Perfect. Acts chapter 17. Let's do it. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. Uh, this is, if you haven't heard me say this, this is kind of like the documentary. Like, just picture you're sitting home, Netflix. You got a documentary in front of you because you've watched everything else and none of it's good. And you're like, oh, I'll learn about this. And uh, this is kind of like how the church went from Jesus dying, raising from the dead, to the thing that we are a part of in 2021, right? How did This happened. How did we get from this worldwide movement of people engaged in this thing that's bigger than themselves, uh, trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world? How did that happen? So Acts is kind of the story of how that happened. And what we've seen uh, is kind of the last couple chapters has been focused in on this guy named Paul. Uh, Paul has been on a missionary journey with his buddy Silas, and they've been traveling through northern Greece area, preaching the gospel. And last week in Philippi, uh, which is a, a prominent city in that northern area of Greece, modern day Greece anyway, uh, they ended up being arrested, beaten, in prison. And I think a lot about this when I think of how my life looks and how the apostles' life looked. Like when I read the Bible and I see how their lives looked, I'm, I'm kind of like, wait, what? Why, why does my life not look like that. I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I put myself in that situation. Like, what if Paul were to call me and ask me for my advice? Like, if he, what if he called any one of us, right? You're sitting at home Sunday afternoon, like just hanging out, watching the game or whatever, and your phone rings, you pick it up, and you're like, who is it? Paul. Hey, Paul. Tell me what's going on. Well, I, we went to this place and, you know, like we preached the gospel and a few people got arrested and, you know, now we got tortured for a little bit and we're in prison. I'm using my one phone call to just kind of ask you, like, what do you think I should do? What did you tell Paul? Sounds like a great trip, Paul. <laughs> like, what if he was a friend of yours from church? You knew he was going on a trip. Like, would you count that as a success? Would you expect a trip to look like that? Would you be like... Uh, maybe, like, if Paul had more places to go, would you be like, come home right now? Like, what do you need? Can I buy you a plane ticket? Can I buy you a hotel? Like, do you need a lawyer? Like, all of these things that I think we would think about a trip like that are not what we see Paul actually experiencing, right? If, If Paul really called you this afternoon, what would you tell him? Praise God, Paul, I'm glad you got tortured. I'll keep praying for you. You know, I mean, that's the famous Christian thing to say is I'll pray for you and then we always forget. But anyway, um, I wrestle with this sometimes as a pastor because there seems to be this gap. This gap between what we see when we read and what we actually live out. I don't know if you ever struggled with that or thought. and, And the less we acknowledge that gap, I think the more unhealthy that is for our soul. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where like people ignore something that seems really unhealthy. (laughs) You ever been in one of those places that you walk into a room and like there's something really crazy going on in the room and everybody else is walking around like it's no big deal. And you're like, does nobody else see this? Is nobody else paying attention? Like, is this how it's always supposed to be? And the more you ignore the thing and just fit in with everybody else, Like, over time, that thing that you've just ignored just becomes a part of the culture. Like, yeah, we just ignore this. And I think that happens sometimes when we read the scriptures. There's this gap. Every Christian looks around and is like, do you see the gap? Well, I'm not going to be the only one that says there's a gap, right? We don't want to be the weird one that's like, how come there's a gap? So we just all read the Bible and pretend like it's no big deal that our lives look nothing like what we just read about. I don't think that's good for our souls. It's kind of like uh, we, I got a barbecue thing as a present a uh, couple weeks back. And so we had people over. I was real excited to use my barbecue thing. So like I looked up a recipe and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm following this thing. And like I'm following all the steps on the recipe. And I get to the end of my recipe and the thing I made looks nothing like the picture of the thing that I looked up. Has anybody else ever done that? And I don't know how that happened because I thought I was following the steps. Like all the way along, I was like following the steps. It said, do this with the chicken. I did that with the chicken. It said, do that with the bun. I did it with the bun and the cheese. And I thought all the way along, I followed the steps. And we get to the end and the thing looks completely different. Like, what what happened? And I think that happens with our Christian lives sometimes. And, and, And if I go back and I'm honest with myself, the way I did my thing with the chicken was probably just a little bit different than the way they did theirs. All right, and then the way I did the thing with the lettuce was probably just a little bit different. And then when I they said butter, I didn't have butter, so I used margarine, or you know. And that we just make these little things that were like close enough, close enough, close enough, close enough, and we get to the end, it looks way different. I remember Megan sent me to the store with instructions like get garlic and uh, this was a while back, and I went, and I went to get garlic out of the jar, you know, not real garlic, and there's like, diced garlic, minced garlic, chopped garlic, whole garlic, and I was like, oh, like this light bulb went off in my head, like, oh, there's, this means something, like these words that I've read in recipes before, like, diced, minced, chopped, like they actually mean something, like they're different sizes, it's like, boo, like, whoa, wow, because, before, I just thought, like, I'm chopping my garlic, right? And then, like, the recipe says diced or minced or whatever. And I'm like, I'm doing it. And yet, if you knew what you were doing as you were cooking and you were looking over my shoulder, you'd have been like, that's not minced. And I'm like, it's cut, right? It's smaller than it was. Like, back off. And And... So what happens is if I do that, and the pieces are much bigger than they're supposed to be, and then I go follow the rest of the recipe, when I get to the end of it and I put that bite in my mouth, not only is the chunk of garlic five times bigger than it should have been, and so I'm getting way more garlic, but I also now undercook the garlic, because bigger chunks of garlic take more time to cook. So now I got a large piece of undercooked garlic in my mouth where it's not supposed to be. And I wonder why my picture doesn't look like their picture. And so we're going to do that today. I would encourage you to look at this as like a recipe. Paul's going to go through a few different cities, do a few different things. And I think if we zero down on the steps within the recipe and see, hey, maybe we're just a little bit different. But that little difference, multiplied over five or six steps, actually ends up in the big gap that we see between what we read in the scriptures and what we live out in our lives, all right? So we're going to read the first 14 chapters, Acts chapter 17. First 14 verses, I said 14 chapters, and some husband just looked at his wife and so was like, you lied to me. Like, you know, just, I just, I misspoke. 14 verses, 15 verses, sorry. And uh, here we go. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on the Sabbath day, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaimed to you, is the Christ. Saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. because I moved one of our announcements for this Christmas tree thing and why we're doing the Christmas tree to the end of service. So afterwards you can go up to the Christmas tree and get an ornament. That's gonna make sense when I make the announcement, but I might forget because I'm gonna turn 40 this year. So at the end of service, somebody yell out the tree and I will announce why that's there. Okay, deal? Help me. Okay, so back to our scriptures. Acts chapter 17. Paul and Silas are working their way through northern Greece. They start in Philippi. They ended up uh, arrested, beaten, imprisoned, tortured, like we said. So they moved on to the next place over. They went through two towns, Ampelia and uh, Apollonia. Then they ended up in Thessalonica right? At the beginning of chapter 17, they preached the word in the synagogue for three straight Sundays. And then the people from Philippi heard that they had moved to Thessalonica because it was like a day's walk or so. And they brought the people over there and started a riot. And so Paul and Silas like, oh, well, what do we do here? They actually tried to find Paul and Silas, but they couldn't find him. They found this guy named Jason. Apparently, Jason was being nice and letting him stay at their house. So they arrested Jason, took him to the city authorities, and ended up charging him a fine and letting him go. So then the brothers, when they say brothers, they mean other Christians, heard about this, Grab Paul and Silas, like, you got to get out of here before they find you. They go to the next city over, which is Berea, start preaching the gospel there. Some people start to believe. And again, the Jews who are angry in Thessalonica hear that Paul and Silas have gone over to Berea. So they bring a riot over there and start stirring up trouble. So then finally, the Christians are like, okay, Paul, dude, you just you got to get out of here. So this time, instead of just walking to the next town over, they put him on a boat. And if we had a map, you would see it goes all the way down around the peninsula to Athens, which is a long ways away. They leave Timothy and Silas up north in Berea. And that's where Paul ends uh, kind of his little this little section. And if you're reading this account, and like I said earlier, if you put yourself in the story and Paul was in front of you telling you this story, maybe he called you on the phone, he was like, hey, I called last week, I was in prison, and uh, you told me like that was a terrible trip. But now we went two more places, and there was two more riots, and I almost got killed, and the guy whose house we were staying at, he got arrested and fined, what should I do? I don't know what we would tell Paul. Why? Would, well, um, you know, maybe you should think about, what. maybe this whole going into the synagogue and teaching the gospel is not working out. Maybe you should rethink your strategy. Maybe this is not the best idea for you, Paul. And yet, if we go back to our analogy of the recipe in this step, Paul is not doing what he's doing because it's, Either A, working, or B, not working, or A, comfortable, or B, not comfortable. He's doing what he's doing completely because he thinks this is exactly what God has called him to do. All right, so if you told Paul, right, like, hey man, there's a riot everywhere you go, maybe you should think about that. That's not the question in Paul's mind. The question in Paul's mind is, am I or am I not doing what God called me to do? That's why he keeps doing this, and in fact, as Paul has continued to do exactly what God has called him to do, Paul has seen incredible things. Just last chapter in Acts, chapter sixteen, he saw a, a little girl who was enslaved and, and, and possessed with a demon, and her, she saw Paul saw her set free, like basically given her life back, like a, a, a life that was going to be in like the only future for that life was slavery. And, and human trafficking and, and de- demonic possession, like all these terrible things. And, and God came in and broke those chains and basically like gave her her life back and redeemed her time. That's an incredible gift. And, and then... Just after that story, remember the guy was about to commit suicide? Paul's like, don't commit suicide. And then immediately after that, the guy accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ, brings Paul and Silas into his house, and it says his whole household got saved. I can imagine walking into that guy's house, the Philippian jailer, who is just about to commit suicide. And maybe he's got little kids, and the little kids run up, dad, he's home, they hug him on the legs or whatever. And Paul is knowing how close it was that that dad was never going to walk home through that door anymore. Like, that's an incredible perspective that Paul has. He's watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. So when he walks into a new town and starts preaching the gospel in a synagogue, his only concern is, is this what God has called me to do? They're going to be a riot, Paul. Don't care. They might stone you to death, Paul. Yeah, last time it hurt, but I made it. Right? Like, they're going to beat you and torture you, and, and, and they're going to kick you out of town. Like, is this what God is calling me to do? And, and here's what I want to point out. I think sometimes we, when we talk about this gap between what Paul is experiencing and what we actually live, is what we do is we confuse one step in the recipe. We confuse being a good person with being obedient to God, we can, we're like, what does God want from me? He wants me to be a good person. That's partly true. That's not the full truth. And if you settle for just being a good person, then when you get to the end of a recipe, your thing and Paul's thing are going to look completely different. Because just being a good person is not the exact same as being obedient to what God has called you to do. And we settle We settle for things like, well, it's not wrong. Well, there's lots of things that aren't wrong and just so stupid to do. right? You can eat metal for lunch. It's not wrong. It's not what God has called you to do either. And and so often in the Christian world, at least, inside the church, we settle for just being good people instead of pursuing obedience. And we never even ask the question, God, what would you have me do? And I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but like some of you saw the announcement for Hope House. You're like, I'm not doing that. Didn't even ask. Didn't even pray. I'm not doing that. Not going to that. Right? You, you heard the financial thing? I'm not I'm not giving. Like, I, I'm not telling. I'm, hopefully this doesn't come across as guilt tripping because, you know, Christians, we got a great history of guilt tripping people, right? We're good at it. But I am telling you this please don't not ask God. Please don't. I'm not telling you to go to Hope House or not go to Hope House or give or not give or support missionaries or go to the Christmas party or not. But, but, but don't make that decision without at least giving God the dignity of asking him. Just, just don't confuse being a good person with obedience because I think sometimes we miss that step and, and Paul cares deeply about the life God has actually called him to. And we, watch, we read this and we're like, I'm a Christian, I do that. I'm like, eh, you, you think you're dicing garlic and you're not really, it's, you're cutting it. You're being a good person. Good job, you stopped getting wasted every Saturday night. Like, pat on the back, it's not quite the same as obedience. It's a very different motivation than what most of us operate with. Most of us are avoiding discomfort by the choices we make. Paul is pursuing God. That's different. That's different. So, When they had passed through these two cities, they came to Thessalonica. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And then we skip down to verse uh, 7. Now, let's go 6. When they could not find them, they're looking for Paul and Silas. Remember, we read this. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. Verse 7. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason, and the rest, they let them go. So as Paul and Silas apparently get to Thessalonica, they stay with a man named Jason. The mob comes to Jason's house to find Paul and Silas. They aren't there, so they just grab Jason, attack his house, it says. I don't know what that means, but it can be good, right? And then drag him uh, through the city streets to the city authorities. Some sort of arresting, some sort of a trial, impromptu mob trial, I guess. And this is all happening, and it looks very different from what we would understand the Christian life to look like in 2021. Maybe because of our justice system, and there's not a ton of mobs dragging people through the streets these days, but just down to the basic level. Like if I told you following Jesus was actually going to cause you to have to pay a financial penalty today, how many of you would be into that? Like, if I change my altar call at the end from raise your hand if you just want to fill that God-shaped hole in your heart to, hey, this afternoon, if you decide to follow Jesus, your house is going to get attacked, you'll probably get arrested, lied about, and then you're going to have to get your money stolen at the end of it. Who's signing up for that? It's like the anti-prosperity gospel. And yet we have this idea in our world that the blessing and hand of God is represented by financial prosperity all the time. If we look at somebody who's in financial hardship or like the money's going down, or you know, like, oh, that's probably because God's not with them. Yeah. Do any of you expect to pay a financial penalty for following Jesus? If you're not a Christian, like, you're exempt from this question. The rest of you who have claimed to follow Jesus, do you expect that one day in your life it will cost you money to do what God has called you to do? Like, like you're going to have to say no to a job that would pay you a lot more or be a lot easier, more comfortable. You're going to have to do your taxes in a way that's a little less creative, right? And actually pay money because of your conviction and honesty. Like, or somebody's going to find out that you're a Christian, and because of that, just outright take money dishonestly from you. Like, what is happening here? And, 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 and here's what we all, well, this is what I think. You could tell me if you're like me or not. I'm kind of fine with it costing me money if I stand up for what I believe in, right? That's kind of like the American way. Like, we stand on our morals and our values, and if it costs us, so be it. I'm a little bit less fine with people lying about me and that costing me money. That would make me a little mad. That's what we're talking about here. Right? This is not like I'm standing on principle and it's gonna cost me money and that's fine. It's like, no, 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 people are lying about my motivation, and that is costing me financially. Like these Jews, like the Jews hated Caesar. They hated him with all their heart. They were in occupied territory. Like this was like an enemy to them. And then all of a sudden they go to the city authorities and be like, we are so worried that these guys are preaching another king besides Caesar. Like, give me a break. You guys are losers, and you'd never love Caesar, and now you're pretending like, oh, you really care about Caesar at all. And the second thing is, they were totally misrepresenting the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is the guy who said, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And so when they come and make this accusation against them, it's a complete lie by complete dirtbags. If only we had an example of how to handle when dirtbags lie about us. If only there was someone in history who had lies told about them as an example of how to ha- oh, that Jesus guy. Did he get lied about? Did he get misrepresented? Did the authorities treat him unfairly based on untruths, from dishonest people, and yet the Bible says as a lamb before the people who are about to murder him is silent. That's what Jesus was like. Didn't open his mouth. Because he, like Paul, was concerned first and foremost with, is this what God is calling me to do? Not my will, but yours be done. Right? This is, this is going to happen. Like, as a Christian, you forfeit your right to be properly understood 100% of the time. It's just how, this is what you sign up for. And I think most people have not let, they have not thought through that step in the recipe. Yeah, like, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to be properly represented and always correctly understood. It's just not part of the plan. And it's sometimes where there's this big gap between what we read about and what we live out. You know, it was a bit of an eye-opening experience for me during the pandemic because I had always known that the Bible talks about uh, the people of God will not be seen in a, uh, not only not in a positive light, but will be considered the enemy of, of kind of the culture at large uh, as, as the Bible narrows down to the end times. And that was always a little bit weird because even though there's like some higher education, like, you know, academia world type people, they're like the Christian worldview or monotheism is the enemy. Like nobody really took those people super seriously. I mean, there's a segment, but it was very small. And then most people in the world was like, yeah, churches are trying to do a good job. That was kind of, especially in America. And then the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you want to meet with brothers and sisters to glorify God? You must not love people. You're putting everybody at risk. How can you be so selfish? And all of a sudden, the church became the enemy. Right? What we were doing became seen as not loving instantly. Instantly. And it flipped like that. You, I don't know if you guys all felt the same pressure I did. Like I lead a church, right? This is kind of what I do. And like, yeah, I get it that there was like health concerns and things like that. But I also know there's people drinking too much and had sexual addiction and and going through difficult times in, in family relationships and, and could, thinking about committing suicide that needed to hear the word of God and be encouraged. So I'm saying like, hey, church is important. And lots of you were saying church is important too. And the culture was saying like, you guys hate people. You don't love people because you're meeting. And that was eye opening for me how quickly that could switch. I don't know what the next one is. But we're going to be misrepresented. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be lied about. I promise you. It's happening. Now we're going to do our best before the Lord to honor him and keep people safe and that thing. But if we think that we are always going to be correctly understood and not lied about, it's just not what we see in the scriptures. Not what we see in the scriptures. Look at verse 10. Then the brothers immediately, so this mob has arrested Jason. Everybody grabs Paul and Silas. And they immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. So they snuck them out of town, right? You do things at night. You kind of sneak them out of town to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. This is not working out for you, Paul. You keep going to Jewish synagogues. It ends in a riot and everybody's mad. But he keeps doing it. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them, therefore, believed. Now, this is interesting. Paul goes into a synagogue in Berea, and he says, you know what's crazy about these guys? They study the scriptures. Why is that crazy? Like, the Jewish people considered themselves, like, one of the names they used for themselves was the people of the book. Right, And the idea conveyed in that name was like, we are identified by the word of God as revealed to us. God chose to reveal himself through the word. Now we're talking Old Testament scriptures at this point in time. But they were like, the Bible means so much to us that we identify ourselves as the people of the book. So if the Bereans are studying the Bible and Paul goes, that's weird. What were you doing in Thessalonica? Like, what were you doing? If Paul's, like, traveling through these different synagogues, he's like, you know what's weird about these people? They actually read the Bible and studied it. Like, what was happening in these other places? Like, what were you guys doing? The word used there is they were examining the scriptures. You know when you examine something, you like hold it up, you like look at it, you look at it from different angles. You're not in a rush when you examine something. You take the appropriate amount of time. And then here's the big piece about examining. You examine with the intention of acting on what you find. That's why you examine something. Like, Like you go to a doctor's exam, right? And if your doctor's like looking, like, tell me about your hand, or like he's hitting your knee and you're doing this, right? And you're like, what are you looking for, doc? I'm just doing an examination, seeing if everything works right. Like, what are you going to do if you find something? Nothing. Like, what? Wait, why why are we doing an examination then if you're not going to do anything with what you find? And the Bereans were considered more noble because not only did they examine this, but they intended to do something if they found something. They're like, here's this, here's my life, let's hold them up together, and if we find something, we intend on acting on what we find. And in this step in the recipe, it's so easy to just read this with no intention on acting on what you find. There's tons and tons of people both inside and outside the church who woke up this morning, would tune in online or watch a sermon or read their Bible with no intention of acting on what they find. This should be, like, this is, it sounds crazy, but this happens all the time. Churches or Christians have these huge pieces missing that are just so blatantly obvious to everybody else. Why? Because they have not examined, they've not examined, they haven't examined the scriptures or their lives. Because in truth, examining the scriptures leads to a changed life, if you're doing it right. And so we end up with churches that aren't friendly. How did you miss that? Jesus is like the most friendly guy in the world. Like, and your followers, you suck, right? Or we end up with churches that aren't honest. Like, wait, you think it's okay to follow Jesus and not tell the truth? Or you end up with churches that don't believe the Bible. What? They gotta, we follow Jesus. We don't believe the Bible. What? Like, go on and on, on the list. I'm sure you've been exposed to some of these things where there's a huge gap. And you're like, what happened? They stopped examining the scriptures with the intention of acting on what they found. I'm running out of time. Look at verse 12. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Um, I do not have the time to give it today, but just so you know that it's coming, uh, I'm going to do a whole study when we get to Acts chapter 20. And I think that that passage actually encapsulates uh, kind of the biblical view on how women fit into this whole piece. Because, I don't know if you've noticed it, but over especially the last few chapters, the way the Bible talks about women is way different than the culture would have talked about women at that point. And I'm just pointing it out now so you're not like, oh, he's just, like, it's been all the way through, right? Just read verse 12. Not a few Greek women of high standing. Like, he's pointing that out specifically. He's not just like, yeah, a bunch of people got saved. He's like, you know what's weird? There's some leader type women, like high standing women in this culture who believe the gospel. And he's pointed that out not only here in Berea, he pointed that out early or in verse 4, if you want to look back up there in Thessalonica. He pointed that out in Acts chapter 16, when Lydia was the first one that got saved in Philippi. She's like the foundational member of the church there. So, it, we're going to, like I said, Acts chapter 20, it's coming. It's coming. Coming's not a word, but it's coming. Here's where I want to finish, though. I think there's something in the message of Paul and Silas that is very profound that we need to remind yourselves of. I think you knew it at one time. Maybe you didn't know it. Maybe this is new. But most of us have known this intrinsically, and we just need to remind ourselves of it. If you heard Paul and Silas' message, what would you think you were called to do? What do you think the response would be? Uh, do what they said. Yep, yep, that's good. I like it. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, we clearly see this group of people heard the word. They were persuaded, meaning they changed their minds. And then it says they joined Paul and Silas. Do you see that? Underline that a little in your Bible. And if it's our Bible, go ahead, underline it too. That's fine. We won't be back to Acts 17 for like a year. So maybe longer. They joined. The call was not to know new information. The the call was not to understand. The call was to join. You know, that's very different. Like Jesus, when he came, he's like, he didn't say, I want you to intellectually know the gospel. Is that what he said? No, he said, come and follow me. The call was to join. The call was to be a part of something. You were being called into something that you were joining. It was something bigger than yourself. It was, it was not like, hey, you stay over there and just know this information. It was come to me. When you come to Jesus, you are joining something. Paul and Silas's message is apparently the same because after hearing it, those who believed in Thessalonica joined them. They're like, let's go. Right now, in case you think I'm like being manipulative or something, like I'm not gonna call you to join anything. Like it's not a member sign up. Like I'm not gonna, like, oh, give me your email. Like we're not doing that. But I am pointing out the fact that there's a whole bunch of people who, in this step of the recipe, they think that knowing is the same as joining. Those aren't the same things. Keeping Jesus and his church at arm's length, but knowing the right information is not what Jesus called you to do, not what Paul and Silas called people to do, and not what those who believed Paul and Silas' message in Thessalonica thought that they were being called to do. And I think that's a very popular thing for us to do. Cool, I got the, I got the information. Thanks for the heads up. Got it. Locked away like a vault. Not going to forget. You want to you come? Nope. You want to join? Nope. No, I'm good over here. I'm going to do my thing. And yet, when the message of the gospel went out in the first century church, it was very clear to those who heard it that the call was to join something. The message of Jesus is a calling into and a joining of a life marked by the understanding that hope has come, that God is good, and that Jesus changed everything, and we are invited into this. We were invited into a completely different life because of the goodness of God. It, that God. God has no intention of you hearing the gospel and staying where you are. You get that, right? It's like, hey, you're doing fine without me. But you, there's some, some key points you need to know, and then you just stay there. Said God to no one ever, right? Like, His call is to join. And that's why when we talk about when we go through our, our mission statement, we says uh, we exist to glorify God through helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That first step of knowing God, it's two pieces. It's the Word of God, the information, and the surrender that is experience. Like it's the surrender of joining. Like okay, I'm in. I'm no longer keeping you at arm's length. I'm in. It's Christmas season, right? I bring this up. You're going to go out and you're going to do like the song we just sang. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Do not represent the gospel as just information to understand. I hope the people that you sit around dinner tables with and eat desserts with and have pumpkin pie with and open presents with this Christmas season— they don't, under, they don't misunderstand the gospel as just something you know. They should see your life and go, hey, they're, they're, they've joined something that's different from everybody else. They're, they're a part of something. They're a piece of a whole. They've been called into a different type of life that they have surrendered to. And it's not just a mental understanding that's different. They're, they're in something. They've joined something different. That's a completely different conversation, isn't it? than just knowing more. The great news of the gospel is that God is calling you into something this morning. He's calling you to join him. He's calling you to be with him. That's why the gospel is such great news. That's why we celebrate this time of year that God is with us and calls us to be with him. Don't just know that. Surrender to it. Join it. Ask the Lord, is there something in my life where I'm keeping you at arm's length and you're calling me to join? Those are powerful conversations you can have between you and God. Powerful. Jake, you can come on up. We're going to finish with this last song. Yeah, tree. After this song, I'm going tree. Father, we thank you for your words and we thank you above that for the gospel that calls us into a different kind of life, that calls us... Uh, into a joining with you um, that changes everything, Lord. We're not alone anymore, Lord. We're not separate. We're not trying to figure out our own way. But we're called to be apart. And we thank you for that, Lord. Uh, and I pray if there's people in here, Lord, that as we walk through this, Lord, as, as we went through these uh, different things that we saw in the lives of your believers in first century, maybe you convicted Maybe, maybe we haven't been obedient. We've just been good people. Maybe, maybe we haven't actually examined the scriptures with the point of acting on what we see. Maybe we've just read it as an obligation. Maybe we haven't understood the gospel as something to join and we've kept you at arm's length. I don't know what it is, Lord, but you do. Just convict hearts right now, Lord. Just do your work. May we be a people who are characterized by your spirit working in us through your word. And we ask you in your name. Amen.